Hello, everybody. Happy Friday. Uh, welcome back to, I, I don't know if we still call this window watch or the preview show. It's kind of a merger of, of the two. We're going to be delving into all the latest transfer speculation, rumours, news, your questions as well. So get in as many as you can into uh, the box on whichever platform you're, you're watching this and we'll try and get through them. We'll also, of course, be building up to Norwich City's game against Manchester City tomorrow at the Etihad, which um, I'm sure, Dave, you'll agree is a slightly daunting prospect for Norwich City. Uh, it's it's all right because you you, you see stuff like, oh, Kevin De Bruyne is a bit of a doubt. And then you look at the rest of their squad and that's that's probably a bit more of the issue, isn't it? Yeah, that would certainly help. But yeah, when you've got Sterling, Grealish, Gabriel Jesus, maybe Gundogan, we'll see. Um, well, like, uh, Phil Foden's not about either, is he? He's, he's got an injury. So that's, yeah. that's a, another little boost. I wasn't aware of that until we'd started building up to this game. So every little helps. Yeah, very much silver linings, I think, isn't it? Um, we'll, we will start with, um, with of course, the, the transfer side of, of things. We'll try and get a rough split around the middle, be with you for about 45 minutes or, or an hour or so, depending on how many questions we, we get in. And I can see a few of them uh, beginning to, to come in, which is which is great. So any questions, thoughts on um, perhaps the, the positions that, that Norwich City are looking for, any any names you might have as as well. It's always interesting to get people's perspective on on any names that they'd like to see coming in before the deadline. We've got what about ten days to go or so now, so should really ramp up. Uh, Dave, it, it was well. Daniel Farker said in his press conference today, kind of reiterated the three positions that they're after: left back, midfield, and, and centre back. I think we can probably break them down. So let's start with the left back, and I think we're all probably very familiar with, with who that's likely to be now. Brandon Williams um, coming in from, from Manchester United. We, we're obviously expecting that to be confirmed kind of after this weekend of games, once Manchester United clear up the sort of Alex Tellez, Luke Shaw fitness issue, although it sounds like Tellez has now returned to, to team training as well. So that would you would expect that to be given the, the green light. We've had some reports this afternoon that um, there's perhaps a medical taking place in, in East Anglia this evening. Just sort of tell us a little bit about where we are with Brandon Williams and, and that timetable um, sort of across the weekend and, and when people can perhaps expect to see him unveiled as an O-City player. Yeah, well, regardless of the medical, really, as far as we're hearing, the timeline hasn't changed. Man United are focused on getting this game against Southampton out of the way, aren't they? And um, apparently Luke Shaw needed a bit of fitness work. They've been working him hard and they were just wanting to be a little bit careful, make sure he didn't pick up any injuries while they've been doing that, because uh, obviously he was one of the... England guys at the Euros, wasn't he brilliant at the Euros? Um, Shawberto Carlos, as uh, I think a lot of them have been calling him, haven't they? And, and he was, he was, he really was good for England. And that's meant that he's had a disrupted summer, isn't it? So they've been working him hard to get him up to speed. And as long as they're happy with him, uh, then they've got Tellez uh, as well as competition on the left. And then Aaron Wambasaka and uh, Diogo Dalot has come back from loan. I think he was at Roma last season, wasn't he? Um, so they've sort of got their fullback situation covered and um as long as Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is happy um after this weekend then it sounds like they are okay to rubber stamp that Brandon Williams makes his way down I think there's probably a little bit of two plus two involved here because Norwich obviously in Manchester they'll be up there already so there's every possibility that he could link up with the Norwich squad this evening or in the morning or something like that before United fly down to Southampton for the game and that would all make sense but that's a little bit irrelevant, really. It's not like uh, this isn't one of those where always oh, having his medical, he's at Colney, he's on the verge of being signed. As far as we're told, the time scale is that nothing will be happening before United's game on Sunday. And then Norwich are hopeful, all being well, that they'll get that one done. And hopefully that'll be good. I mean, I'll go back to that 4-0 defeat. It was a 
dreadful day at Old Trafford in what January 2020 when Adam Eda had to play up front and had a, a a real tough sort of full Premier League debut. I think that was, wasn't it? When when Pookie was injured and Dermich wasn't yet fit and they were pretty abject that day. Things just went wrong. Mario Vrancic had a bit of a nightmare in the middle, but Brandon Williams was a real standout for United that day, wasn't he? Won the penalty, Tim Krull brought him down and and was was full of life. And that season in particular, he played in the Europa League semi-final. He really had made the breakthrough, but once Shaw came back to fitness, he just nailed down that left-back spot last year, didn't he? And he's not really got the opportunities on the right. So he's still young. England under-21 international seems like a really good signing and frankly he's someone who's not going to pitch up and just be thinking well I'm here as cover he's going to come in and push Demetrius Yunulis hard and I know a lot of people were impressed with Yunulis last week and yeah he was good on the ball and he was quite exciting going forward and there were a lot of good things but there were a couple of pretty shaky defensive moments that strange header in particular if United score from that then I think the um, overall reviews of his performance would have been completely different because that would have been a mistake like the uh, like the Stoke game in the early stage of his stages of his career, wouldn't he? So, you know, this is a Greek international, but he's new to the Premier League. He's now coming up against someone who is very highly thought of, has got Premier League experience, and he's going to have to really work hard to keep him out of the team. So that is exactly what Norwich want, isn't it? If you put it into how Ralph Fairman uh, kept Tim Krul on his toes two years ago, then hopefully that creates a real, real good battle there on the left. And Williams can play on the right as well. Yeah, I thought he was. I thought he was really good that, that day at Old Trafford that you mentioned. Um, he, I think he, yeah, he did play left back. Didn't he? Did he miss a yeah. sitter? I've got that in my head somewhere that he, that he missed uh, a, a really I, good chance. I don't know if it was a sitter. I think it was one that dropped to him at the back post, wasn't right. it? And it looked like he'd sort of taken the leather off the ball as he smashed it into the back post, but he actually ended up putting it over. But. I, I, I can't remember it being a sitter, but yeah, he should have scored probably. Yeah, maybe, maybe that's what I've got him out. I've definitely had a chance at the back post that he missed. Yeah. Um, this is this is an interesting question because there's been a lot of debate on, about this, certainly on, on social media this week from Cameron. So, so I'll get it straight up. And uh, he said, do you see Williams being a... Ro I mean, you kind of answered that, but in terms of him being a rotational player, someone expected to start. And uh, it's more the second part of his question. Unusual that Manchester United would loan out a player who um, isn't guaranteed minutes, which uh, as far as we're aware, there isn't a, a, it sort of in that agreement between Norwich and Manchester United. He must play X amount of minutes. It doesn't tend to be the way now. It tends to be similarly to what we saw with the Billy Gilmore deal, where loan fees tend to go down with the more games they play. So clubs get compensated if they don't play. And obviously the, the development improves if they do play. So, so that kind of works. Um, Man United loan out a lot of players. Some of them, uh, I'm sure there will be conditions around. Norwich City don't tend to take loan players with conditions. Um, they tend to try and do it in a way like that Billy Gilmore deal. So so what do you make of this in terms of, from a United perspective and, and lending him to Norwich? Does it suggest that, as you said there, he's, he's not going to be someone that's going to be cover for your new list, but equally, he is going to be someone who's going to have to earn his way into the team and he'll pack himself to do that? Yeah, and it's probably going to take him a little while to sort of adjust to things. But beyond that as well... Of course, there's the injury sort of cover situation. You've got to have two um, two guys who are capable of playing that position and then you let them battle it out. And it sounds like the club feel that Barley Mumber is capable of doing that with Max Ahrens and, and can push him hard. So, yeah, United will expect him to play. And if he hasn't played any football, when it comes to January, 
I dare say that they will be looking at it and saying, this isn't working out. We want to move him somewhere else and he'll go to the championship or something like that. I'm sure they could have got in the championship loan deal. No problems at the moment. They're probably just taking that little bit of a gamble and, and they're probably backing their own player to a certain extent, aren't they? they that he is going to uh, usurp Yanulis and get into the team and, and show what he's capable of. But we'll see. I mean, you, you were pretty impressed with Yanulis last weekend, weren't you? Yeah, I thought I thought he was I thought he was pretty good. Like you say, I I have had and particularly in the Newcastle friend friendly actually, there's been a couple of times where I've watched him and there's a little siren defensively that goes off in your head and you think, well, if this if this happens on a regular basis against some of the wingers in the Premier League, then there may be there may be some issues. But look, if he can maintain that standard of performance, again, I agree with you. I think there were parts of that Liverpool performance, that header that you referenced, where he really just needed to flick it behind him, didn't he? And, and kind of out wide as opposed to back in the middle. There was a couple of, of, of little bits as well in terms of positionally, but he is a, a forward-thinking player. He's someone who's not played at Premier League level before, someone who, who played in the Greece top flight, which with all, the, with all the respect to that league, he's played in a team that's probably dominated a, a lot of that division, um, minus probably a, a few games. So maybe not really had to defensive or maybe hasn't had those defensive questions asked for him in the way he will do this season so again that period of adaptation is going to be interesting but yeah I think I think competition particularly for that left side is is going to be pretty important but it's also worth noting about Williams that he can cover on the right and you mentioned Barley Mumba there and, and we'll probably throw Sam Byram into this debate as well at the moment that drop off from Max Aarons to Barley Mumba Maybe less so in terms of ability. Barley Mum was clearly very talented. Max is clearly a, a way down the track of him at the moment. Um, but it's 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 quite a big drop, isn't it, to go from Max to maybe a, a, with with respect again to Barley Mumba, a teenager who's not played a minute of Premier League football. That's a bigger risk than perhaps someone like Brandon Williams, who has played a lot of Premier League football, has played it for Manchester United, has experience at that top level. So if one of you know, and dare we say, if one of Max Aarons or Demetrius Yanoulis gets an injury come October the 1st, suddenly Norwich is turning around. They've got a ready-made um, kind of replacement there. So that that is a positive as well. There, there are kind of lots of reasons um, why I think this one makes a, a lot of sense. Do you, do you kind of buy the argument? And I've seen a lot of fans saying in terms of bringing in a player, and, and we've used the term kind of quality over quantity all summer as kind of being Norwich's approach. But a lot of fans seem to think that this is a slightly bizarre one because of the quality, I suppose, that they have in those fullback positions. Do you, do you really buy that argument or do you think the more quality, the better? Yeah, I can't see why Norwich fans would have an issue with that, to be honest. You know, the, as you say, the more quality, the better. I think there's probably a decent chance that if Max were to get injured in the next few weeks, Williams would probably go in ahead of, of Mumba as things stand. And, you know, we've seen that Sam Byram has been training cautiously with the under-23s and we'll probably come back to that. It sounds like he won't be involved tonight, but... Um, you know, if Sam manages to regain his full fitness and his training fully with the first team by, if, if we take that as an example, the start of October, if something were to happen then, then he would probably get in ahead of Mumba as well because he's a young guy. I think he's just turned 20 and that's worth emphasising with Williams as well, isn't it? That he's he's only just, or I think he's about to just turn 21 if, if I'm remembering that correctly. So the more options, the better. And just if you break it down pretty basically, from Daniel Farker's point of view, that means if he has a training game, well, not next midweek because they've got Bournemouth on Tuesday, haven't they? But the following midweek or, or whatever, he's got two senior experienced-ish right backs and left backs that he can play on either side and they are in full competition. And that's as a head coach, exactly what you want, isn't it? To bring the best out of each other. But um, yeah, you knew there's just, a, I, I don't want to sound like I'm being too harsh on him because 
I like everybody else uh, could see that there were a lot of bright things that he did in that game. And I think that's sort of reflective of the whole day, wasn't it? There were bright sparks. There were encouraging signs. Um, but I saw, I, I just thought the praise was kind of over the top. I saw someone say it was absolutely immense. I mean, I don't think you can say it was absolutely immense when they lost 3-0 and he very nearly gave away a, a, a goal. So there were there were good signs like there were throughout the team, uh, but he clearly has got to improve on that and keep building on that and hopefully flourish. That's what we want to see. You know, he's somebody that helped Norwich win the title. If Yunulis kicks on, he is a Norwich player. Williams would be a low knee. I think most fans would prefer Yunulis kicks on from here and, and makes that slot his own and, and, and Williams ultimately isn't needed. Yeah, as you, as you referenced earlier, we, we all know what competition did to Tim Krul two years ago. So let's hope it can have a, a similar impact on Dimitri Shinulis. Um, This is a, another dimension that's been kind of spoken about a lot. Uh, people saw the Brandon Williams um, thing escalate and, and thought, well, that must mean Max Ahrens is is off. As kind of Howard has summed up here, he said, greetings from Canada. Thank you very much for, for watching, Howard. Uh, he said, do you think this uh, Williams loan move is opening the door for a potential Ahrens move? that might be in the works or more of a cover option as he wouldn't be guaranteed first choice. Now, from our understanding, this isn't uh, this move isn't because Max is going to seal a transfer in the next 10 days. I think far from it. I think we now probably expect him to to stay at the club beyond this this transfer window. Um, I think look, it's, it's probably um, fair to say that if Carlo Ancelotti remained at Everton, then then that may be a very difficult situation, a very, very different rather situation than, than what it is at the moment because you clearly had a coach there who did like Max and, and 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 his and his qualities. Obviously, he, he left to Real Madrid. Uh, Rafa Benitez probably likes a different kind of fullback. I think that's fair to say. Someone who's a little bit taller. So, given that, and I think Atletico Madrid are, are probably the other ones we could talk about. But Kieran Trippier hasn't moved on, and they've got three right backs. I think at the moment. So again, that's a very bloated area of the pitch for them. So those two really being the only real suitors for him this summer given their scenarios and their situations, it, it seems like Max is, is going to be sticking around and this one isn't going to affect it, Dave. Is, that's kind of a fair enough sort of summation of the of the of, of that position and, and Max's situation. Yeah, at this stage, so what, 11pm Tuesday night, there will be one week of the transfer window remaining. For either of those to leave, it's going to be a bit of a shock now at this stage and it's going to be a bit odd that any club left it that late in the window, particularly after Stuart Webber, what, a month ago now said, the closer it gets to deadline, the more their price goes up because we don't want to sell them. That's going to completely mess up our plans. So, um, yeah, I don't think he's got any intention of Williams being an Aaron's replacement, um, but you can't ever say 100%, can you? You know, if... If for some reason Man United, just as an example, loaned Dallow out again, they do get Kieran Trippier from Atletico Madrid and they came in for Max, then, you know, it's game on. But the latest reports from Spain have been that Atletico don't want to sell Trippier, don't they? And they've told Man United to to go away, basically. So I'm sure there will be... He's still such a young guy. That's what people forget with Max. Um, He will be 22 in January, won't he? So... He, th- there will be a lot of clubs continuing to monitor him. But I think I said on our pod, uh, certainly at some point this summer, that I still feel Max needs a strong season in the Premier League. I don't feel he's an established Premier League player yet. I think he's done a real impressive amount of things in his young career. And similarly to Yanulis against Liverpool, a lot of good things in there, a few worrying defensive things. Um, didn't cover himself in glory for the second goal. Don't think Hanley and... Gibson were too impressed with with him or Gilmore's attempts to to get back and cover Firmino, were they? So, um, but I also, as I wrote in my column last week, think that 
this should be a big season for Max. He, if he can continue to be as consistent as he has been and and stay fit, then I feel like this is going to be the the season that could be the making of him. Particularly if Norwich stay up, particularly if they do find some degree of mid-table security, then Max is really going to be ready for a bigger club to come in with a big bit of money and take his career on to the next level. Yeah, I, th- I think this is kind of the problem maybe with, with where Norwich are at. If you're a sort of club that maybe Max Aarons will be aspiring to go to and, and you want to spend the sort of fee that Norwich would command for him on a right-back, then you're going to want to see a, a season of a very decent Premier League football, aren't you? And uh, I think by his own admission, I saw him speaking about um, his, his last Premier League campaign and, and he kind of said he felt that it was the season that he'd, he'd developed in the most, even though perhaps it was it was the toughest from certainly a, a team point of view with, with, the, with the manner in which Norwich went down. But yeah, if you're, if you're a Spurs, if you're a team kind of at the top, maybe not Spurs, a team at the top end of, of the league um, looking to sign a right back for big money. I think you, you probably would want a bit more evidence, wouldn't you, um, of, of him in the Premier League before maybe committing to that. So, yeah, it looks like for now, at least, Max Aarons is, is going to stay as a Norwich City player, which is very positive. I think that kind of wraps up the the fullback debate and Brandon Williams. So, yeah, as we said, timetable all all going well. We, we probably expect something um, early part of next week once Manchester United's game is out of the way on Sunday. Um, let's move then to the defensive midfielder. I, I would argue this is maybe the position that Norwich City fans are, are most, um, I, I, don't, I don't think concerned is the word, but it, it's, it's the position where they want to see a player arrive in most. I think that's that's probably fair to say um, of maybe the three, probably then you'd say centre-back and then probably full-back. Um, a new name kind of entered the the list this week, didn't it? I think it was Fabrizio Romano, who is, um, I don't know if he gets any sleep, to be honest, the, the amount of transfer <laughs> stuff he puts out. But uh, Matthias Norman, who is a, a Norwegian uh, defender, well, I don't know, more, more of a, sounds more like a box-to-box midfielder, but I must confess to not watched him at all. So I'm only going off um, various stuff that I've read. Uh, Rostov, so in the Russian Premier League, uh, obscure enough to be a, a Norwich City link. Dave, tell us a, a little bit about this one and, and his name and where perhaps Norwich City are with with their pursuit of a of a defensive midfielder. Yeah, so Norway International, and I've got to be honest, I don't, I hadn't really recognised the name either. Apparently, he was at Brighton and uh, on the books for a couple of years. Returned to uh, Norway on loan. It was at Molder, and then Rostov have come in, offered them some money, and they decided, right, we'll, we'll cash in. And he's been playing regularly in the top flight in Russia and. Um, seems to be building quite a decent reputation. He, he certainly plays as a deeper midfielder, doesn't he? But like like you say, if you just have a look at his um, sort of video highlights on YouTube, his supercut, he he is a sort of tough tackling player, but he's somebody who's quite dynamic as well. Someone who's going to try and run with the ball, who's got a bit of a trigger pass in him and, and, and likes to spread the ball about as well. So I, I don't think you're looking at sort of... Um, and Ibrahim Amadou, for instance, who didn't really have the technique, did he? He had the size and the muscle and the, the defensive now. So to be fair, you remember that um, great block at the end of the uh, the draw with Arsenal. Um, he sort of knew in the right, right places to be. And I think, as we said before, that move may well have worked out very differently if he hadn't had to cover at centre-back for so long. And, and then uh, that sort of went off the boil. So... This lad, yeah, it sounds like um, the the reports from Russia are basically this is a bit of a Max Aaron situation, isn't it? A bit like when Barca came in and said, "Oh, we like Max Aaron's. Would you um would you loan him for loan loan him for a season, and then we might pay you twenty odd million at the end of the season if things go well." And Stuart Webb said, "Well, no, obviously not. <laughs> why, why would we do that?" And it sounds like the offer to Nor- uh, from Norwich to Rostov is um, going by the figures that are doing the rounds in Russia. 
uh, about 1.7 million up front, so 2 million euros, leading to potential 12 million pound deal if it proves successful, if Norwich stay in the Premier League with, with a few add-ons on top. Um, and the, at the moment, Rostov aren't interested in that and don't need the money so badly uh, to do that. There'd be a loan fee involved. Um, as I said, sorry, yeah, the 1.7 million. But the other figure involved was that if Norwich chose not to sign him, then there would be like a penalty fee of, I think it was 1.5 million euros, wasn't it? So that's we're talking about big money there. Um, at, but Rostov have seemingly turned it down. As you say, Fabrizio Romano is the one who brought that out and he, tend to be very reliable across the across the board on transfer stuff but it sounds like someone that Norwich have been have been tracking for for quite a long while doesn't it yeah I, th- I think um certainly certainly before the window opened I think it's it's fair to say he's, he's been a player in interest of interest for them for a while I think maybe he's he's taken some persuasion as well in 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 terms of being interested in, in a move to Norwich and uh, and maybe what they could what they could offer it sounds like certainly from from what we are hearing that uh, he, he would be open to it but like you said there it's it's a very difficult one for Norwich to try and go out and and do if you're I think the the way you use the Max Aaron's example is is pretty spot on really because the way Norwich City are probably going to try and get a defensive midfielder now it certainly looks that way anyway and and this deal points to it as well is is a loan with a, a kind of an obligation to buy but with clauses. So it's kind of not really an obligation. Um, so yeah, if you're Rostov, you're probably in a tough position where this is probably not financially good enough right now to then accept that. It's not like a Unida situation where Norwich were looking very good in terms of staying in, you know, in terms of going to the Premier League. And that cash was almost guaranteed, wasn't it? When Dimitris Unidas arrived in January, not, not completely, but it was Norwich was sat at the top of the championship. It's probably an easier case to make for that kind of structured deal as opposed to um, now where what they've had seven years in uh, seven seasons in the Premier League and been relegated in five so if you look at that from from the outside you would probably say well okay we're probably going to lose our best player for a year if Norwich then go down he comes back and uh, we haven't got the the fee that, that we wanted and maybe we haven't done as well in in the league because of it so I think maybe like you said there, the, the probably complex bit around this deal now for Norwich and Rostov, if there is to be a solution, is around that obligation. I think it's probably clear that, similarly again, like Norwich would have probably have wanted with Max, that obligation to be fairly clean, there to be no clauses on it and it be absolutely guaranteed next summer. But obviously we know Norwich City aren't in a position to do that um, because of, obviously, if they go down and, and the risk to themselves. And we know that Stuart Webber won't take that risk. So that seems to be where it's kind of at. I think that's certainly what the reports in Russia are suggesting. Um, certainly sounds to be the case as well, that there's kind of a blockade between the two clubs in that regard. But whether that gets sorted or not, we, we shall see. But it, it does kind of pose an interesting point about the defensive midfield position, if you want to label it like that more broadly, and perhaps what Norwich City want to do with it. We saw them play... Um, well, it was a four-three-three, wasn't it last week? Uh, I think Daniel Farker was keen to point out today it was perhaps a bit more nuanced than that, and he's not someone who's particularly gets caught up. He's, he's not someone who, who who is, as he always says, wedded to base formations. But there is a bit of a shift, isn't there, between what we saw Billy Gilmore do last week and what we saw Ollie Skip and let's say Kenny McLean do. There were there were two options or one option rather than two last week, which is kind of a little bit of a shift to, from from what we saw last season. So. Do you think that will impact the type of player? I mean, you've referenced Norman being perhaps a bit more dynamic than someone like Amadou, who, who they signed two years ago. Do you see that being kind of a contributing factor to the type of player that they end up kind of going for? Yeah, maybe. It's going to be really interesting to see how that develops, particularly tomorrow. You know, will will it be the same? Will Gilmore be in that 
pivot role almost. And that is what Daniel wants. That's where he's seen him. Gilmore played for Chelsea in May. As recently as May, they went 2-1 at the Etihad, didn't they? And he was playing alongside N'Golo Kante, basically the best defensive midfielder in the world, isn't he? World Cup winner. Everybody wishes they had N'Golo Kante in their team. So Gilmore wasn't the specific defensive midfielder in that shape. That was a 3-4-3 that Chelsea had success with that day. So is that how Daniel sees it? Is he seeing it as you have a pivot and then those two other central midfielders have to really come in and help with the defensive side of things as well? Because if anything, I'd say Lucas Rupp looked the more defensive of the three last week. He was quite snappy in his tackles, particularly in that first half, had a lot of energy about him, didn't he? And I just didn't see enough um, positionally to convince me that Gilmore can do that sort of deeper role on his own. Skip, I think, would have been fine by that point. And maybe we'll all look silly in five, six games. And by the time we're playing Watford or whoever, one of the more direct rivals, Brentford, in the next few weeks, and Gilmore's had um, that time with Farker working with him. He's sort of shaken off the, the teething problems like Skip did have in his first few games. And he's really grown into it. And Farker will be proved right. And we'll all be talking about how that talk about defensive midfielder was was sort of over the top or does Daniel react to what happened last week Gilmore is moved into the slight one of the more slightly advanced roles and we see Sorensen or Rupp or someone who is just tasked with being that more traditionally defensive midfielder because you know I think I felt like it was a little bit that they tried to fight fire with fire a bit too much against Liverpool and with Farker's style, I think they probably will do similarly against Manchester City again tomorrow, even though I just think where they are at the moment, as I said in the pod the other day, it just doesn't feel sensible to me to to be fighting fire with fire against the top teams when you're just out of the championship. You've had this disrupt, heavily disrupted pre-season. You've had a COVID outbreak. Your players aren't where they want to be yet. Um, I don't know. It feels a little bit like trying to run before you can walk, whereas... Is it going to be a bit more sensible just to be more compact, be more defensive, bring in Oma Bamadeli and have a 3-5-2 or whatever, 3-6-1? As you say, Daniel always likes that line, doesn't he? That a formation, or it may be nominally a 4-3-3, but out of possession, it quickly becomes a 4-5-1 and they make little tweaks here and there throughout, don't they? Um, at times last season, Ollie Skip used to almost drop in as a third centre-back, didn't he, when they'd won back possession to sort of start building moves. So, of course top level tactics they make little tweaks and stuff during the game that to the unanalytical eye you might not even notice because it might be for a few minutes because they're reacting to something the opposition is doing and then they go back to they fall back to type so I think we're all going to be watching really closely really analyzing for little clues of of what's going to happen from here but but Daniel has been pretty upfront with it you know today was not the first time that he said, yeah, I want a fullback, I want a, a central midfielder and I want a centre-back. He's made it pretty clear. And I think some some fans have quite liked that he's been so upfront about that because it's, you know, as much as he's quick to say um, all compliments to Stuart Webber and things like that and that he's pleased with the transfer work they've done, he's made it clear that he thinks for this transfer window to be considered successful, that their business isn't done yet. So, yeah, I, I still think, I think people are... Uh, it's fair enough for people to be concerned that there isn't someone who is an out-and-out defensive midfielder just in the squad at the moment. If Gilmore's going to be your main man, that's the plan, wrongly or rightly, then fair enough. But I think you've got to have an option. And as we spoke about quite a bit in the pod, we still don't know if that's Jacob Sorensen, do we? We've just not seen 
him in that role enough. And from what we have seen of him, he hasn't looked at, to have that sort of tete positional nous, has he? No, he hasn't. Uh, I just think he looks a bit more box to box. Um, uh, again, as, as we spoke about on the pod, than, than he does kind of that shielding aspect that you want. And you're right, maybe when Norwich City do have more possession in games at home and they can be a bit more dominant, maybe Billy Gilmore can feature in that role. But um, I, I think you're, you're probably asking a lot. And Liverpool did press him probably in a way that, I don't want to say targeted him, but it, it certainly made it life difficult for him. So it's going to be interesting to see how he adapts to that as well. And yeah, the, the type of midfielder, because when you think about the ones they've been linked to so far, Philip Billing, uh, now Matthias Norman as well, they don't scream kind of um, tough tackling, screening midfielders in the way that perhaps we've seen Alex Tetty do or even Ollie Skip to an extent. Although we speak about kind of midfield balances and makeups, I think Kenny McLean was probably a lot more pivotal to maybe Norwich City's defensive improvement alongside Ollie Skip was was tremendous last season but that duo of, of Skip and McLean in particular were very good so who knows if, if we see Kenny McLean in that midfield free if Daniel Falker does opt to go for a free tomorrow um, that he plays there for Scotland be, doesn't yeah. he yeah Kenny. yeah he plays deeper yeah yeah so uh, whether, whether that is something that, that we could see I'm not quite sure um, just to break off from transfers very quickly Norwich are playing Norwich um, under 23s playing Stoke tonight. Their lineup has um, has just come through, so uh, I'll read it for you. Uh, they've got Rose, uh, Giorgi, Tomkinson, Warner, and Early Gibbs, Riley, and Spr- uh, Springett with Kamara, Hutchinson, and Rowe as well. A bench of Berry, uh, Krumbeni, and Dixon Peters. So that's uh, no cities under twenty threes. Uh, in action tonight at Carroll Road. Um, no senior involvement there, as as we kind of teed up, really. Um, no Sam Byram, who who has been doing a little bit of work with them as well. Um, this will probably be a good opportunity to hear from Daniel Farker. We, we kind of referenced it there. So let's um, let's bring that clip in for you. Here's what Daniel Farker had to say about Norwich City's transfer business so far and why perhaps the next three, deci- the three next signings will be decisive for their season. So we definitely have to uh, improve our squad further on. So we definitely need to bring a fullback option in. That's, uh, that's definitely for sure. We we should definitely do something on the on the, uh, on the central defense, also perhaps on the holding midfielder uh, position. We know that we have to be spot on also in this uh, in this topics in order to to speak about a really top class transfer window. In order to be competitive, uh, we know that we need uh, need uh, to do a little bit. But um, believe me, we are we are also prepared. Of course, as a head coach, you're always tempted to have all the players in as early as possible because you want to work with them as early as possible. But and I tell you, if, if one or two million points for us wouldn't matter, we would have bring them in already. So, but in our position, sometimes you have to be a bit, a bit more patient and wait a little bit. And uh, um, I'm quite confident that we'll do some some business in the end. We'll have a proper competitive group. Yes, and uh, perhaps in this terms, it's also perhaps not the worst thing to start against. Uh, Liverpool and Man City that uh, you have games even if you are there with a top class side it's it's difficult to win this game so for that um, I'm, I'm quite confident of months. There you go which which lends us nicely to that final desired position then Dave uh, central defender it's, it's been quite a long uh, extensive search difficult I think obviously to, to get one over the line Christopher Ayer was the first one that they really made um, a, a go for, one £10 million bid made in May that was rejected. Norwich City didn't go back after that. He then subsequently signed for Brentford in, in kind of the last week or two. Um, we, we've had Gary Cahill, who's obviously a player that Norwich City explored. Um, he's subsequently joined Bournemouth. I think that was confirmed today on, on a one-year deal, um, mainly because he sort of didn't want to relocate, which is kind of fair enough at, at the stage he is in his career. So 
where do you see Norwich City going with that? We've kind of maybe mapped out that it will probably be a loan with a, a, a view to a, a permanent transfer for that midfield position. What do they do with that centre-back position now? Is it a position that they go and spend on? Is it a position that they go down the loan route? Do they maybe explore the free agent market? How, how do you see them kind of playing out that, that centre-back position? Yeah, it's a tricky one. And, and the way that Daniel's teed it up there as well, it reminds you what a difficult job Stuart Webber does have um, because he's he's kind of operating in a world that no, not many other people in, in football are having to, not in the Premier League anyway, certainly, and not many clubs in the Championship where he's literally having to really be patient. Of course, him and Daniel, they know who their targets are. They've known for a long time. As we were saying earlier, they wanted Norman earlier in the year. They've been He's been someone that they've been pursuing as a potential option for quite a while. But they're having to wait because they can't afford to just say, oh, all right, Rostov, we'll pay you six million instead up front and then we'll give you 12 million if we stay up. They, they can't be as loose with their spending as that. There is obviously no way that Norwich can commit to an obligation to buy for that sort of money because if they get relegated, you can't be paying £12 million for a player, can you? That is hugely prohibitive. So it's pretty obvious. But as Daniel's mapped out there, it's just a good reminder that it's not a case that Stuart can just do exactly what he wants to do. He is having to be patient. He's working within quite strict parameters. And they have already spent by far the most money that Norwich City have ever spent in a transfer window before. You know, it's about the 50 million mark, you know, <laughs> one side or the other, isn't it? Depending on whether you want to read in all the add-ons and, and things like that. But yeah, I mean, with um, Gary Cahill, it's pretty straightforward, isn't it? He wanted to stay in the South. Um, he's obviously been at Chelsea for a long time um, uh, and then was at Crystal Palace. So he wanted somewhere a bit closer to London. He apparently still lives South London. Yeah, Bournemouth's not close, but it's a lot easier to get to than, than Norfolk from South London, isn't it? Which can be a bit of a pain of a journey at the best of times. Um, maybe you just didn't want to pay the dart charge all the time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I think he would have been a reasonable addition. But, you know, he is nearly 36. Great experience, great leader, great organisation. He, If he was up for the challenge, then yes, that's a, that would have been a good signing. But, you know, he played with Scott Parker for England for a few years um, I'd imagine there's probably a coaching route open to him there potentially at some point as well so um, yeah they move on from that one but as ever really I don't think the narrative has changed on this one because if you're going to bring in a centre-back it needs to be someone who's better than what they've got and they like Omobamadeli if Zimmerman is fully fit I think they trust him enough to play him in the Premier League all right that second half at Newcastle didn't exactly cover him in glory um, but he's never really felt like he's got back to that confidence and that momentum that he had before all his injury issues. Mm. Um, and even when he got back to fitness in that Premier League season, after the um, the uh, that, that the tackle from Haller at West Ham that left him on crutch and stuff, he, his confidence was not quite the same, was it, when he came back in? He gave away the penalty against Tottenham, I think it was, wasn't it? And there were a few bad moments for him and he's, he's never quite recovered to that. So he's a good squad option, but they, to, to get someone for the money they've got available and stuff... Personally, I'd rather they threw the money at the defensive midfielder. Um, and then it's just whether you get in another centre-back who's a, who's a decent, solid option, or if you do get that defensive midfielder, and can Sorensen be that other centre-back? Because he looks like he's perfectly capable of playing in that position. And he's got the the sort of cool and the calm about him as well. If you needed to chuck him into that situation, that he'd handle it okay. So for me, if they didn't end up bringing in the centre-back, I wouldn't be totally shocked. Um, 
But yeah, in an ideal world, they get someone in. But it's got, as they've always mapped out, it's got to be better than what they've got. And that's not easy for the budget they're working with. No, and, and that's it. You you can't just bring in the player who's who's going to sit for choice because if if you suddenly got someone who, who's who's coming in who's not a marked improvement, I think we've we've already spoken on the podcast about maybe the the impact that players like Lays Malou, um, Shollis has had when they've walked in. I think if you're a player seeing those type of of players arrive, you probably sit back and you want to improve yourself, don't you? If you're then getting I don't know, let's say theoretically a loan from Manchester City. I know they wouldn't obviously be able to do that with Williams, but someone who isn't going to come in and, and push what you have already, you're probably looking around and going, well, why have they, why have they done that? that and, and it just doesn't make sense for anyone, does it? So that, again, when, when we kind of, to bring this full circle, look at that Williams deal, that's another reason why this is so attractive because it pushes the options that they have currently. If you think about it at the moment, um, what you've got, Aaron's Yunulis, and then you've got Bali Mumba. You've got three options. So now Norwich, um, with that fullback addition, will have another. So it, unless you're bringing in a centre back that can do the same with Hanley and with Gibson, and, and I wonder if they looked at Cahill as an option because obviously bringing him in on a, on a one year contract, if that would have happened, you're probably not then sort of blocking on Mabamadile's path to the to the starting lineup either. So yeah, it's a really complex position because they've they've already got two very good ones ideally you'd probably want another you've got a young lad in the background as well who you don't want to prevent his development um so that yeah like you said there for all the reasons it's very complex they can't just go and pull a center back out from anywhere that isn't going to play so uh, it's going to be really fascinating to see how they've done that but it's, i think it's proven it's been documented throughout this summer that they've wanted a center back and here we are with, with 10 days to go in the window and they haven't got one so that kind of illustrates the point of how difficult it's it, it's been for them this summer doesn't it in, in, in that position and as we spoke a bit about quite a lot when they were chasing Ayer, he looked like someone who was going to be a good addition who could open up the three at the back, um, which again is is where I wonder where Sorensen fits into everything, considering he signed a new contract this summer and stuff as well. They must see him as being a part of this season. But I'm still not really sure where he is at the moment. Um, so, yeah, it, it is an interesting situation. And if you're totally honest about it, they will be terrified that, once that transfer window is closed, that Grant Hanley's ha- Grant Hanley's hamstring goes, that Ben Gibson tweaks his ankle, then they're going to, if they haven't brought someone in, they're going to be left to look pretty silly, aren't they? But I think the the big, the major, major difference between this season and last season and, and that injury crisis is that, that can't be forgotten is that that was an unprecedented season where it was compacted in. They started in September and it was frantic, wasn't it? All those injuries it was almost a, a cumulative effect, wasn't it? That they just couldn't get people back fit. And then by the time they got someone else fit, someone else was injured. This season is just not like that. We know the Premier League is is intense and the quality is such a big step up. But even in these early stages of the season, there's far less um, midweek games and it feels like you have so much more recovery time between matches for Farker to work with them both tactically, but and not, but on their fitness as well. And and Stuart Weber said that in his interview of us. I think that was uh, the one after the end of the season, wasn't it? They were well aware, and I'm sure he's had that conversation with Chris Domagala and and Chris Burton and all the physio and sports scientist team that those players have got to be. Um, in tip-top condition and they've got to do everything they can to look after them. There's obviously certain things you can't prevent against in terms of injury. If someone goes through your knee and you do your cruciate ligament and you're out for nine months, there's not there's not much you can do about that. We've seen that throughout the game 
uh, in the last 20 years in, in terms of the pace of the match. And I was thinking about like that Michael Owen one for England when he twisted really awkwardly in the turf and things like that. Those sort of things happen in football. You can't guard against them. But everything that they can do to keep those players fit and healthy, they've got to make sure they're on top of this season. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see how that position evolves in particular in the in the final ten days of the window. Um, let's uh, kind of round up our our transfer chat. We've, we've had a, a few more questions. We'll start from Norwich Roundup, who has uh, said hi. Do we expect deals before the last day or on the day? Well, look, Norwich want three more. Daniel Farker has publicly said they want three more, so I don't think you can discount it. But clearly, Stuart Weber isn't a man who likes to get caught up in the. Uh, in, in the circus, or we'll use a, a Paddy Davitt phrase, uh, in the circus of, of deadline day, he much prefer, I think, with his with his feet up, watching uh, watching the rest of football go mad. So I don't look, Norwich have been patient this window. It's why um, someone like Scholes, who by all accounts looks like they've, they've been speaking or trying to get in throughout the summer, ten weeks was was I think the the figure that, that we said in the podcast. Um, that that just goes to show why they need to be patient to bring in the caliber of players they like, doesn't it, Dave? So they will be patient, but probably not to the extent where. We're sat here on deadline day. We, well, we definitely won't be sat here on deadline day with, with those three positions not not filled because it, it looks like Brandon Williams will, will be announced soon. But um, yeah, I, I can't see this going to the last day, to be honest. Hopefully, yeah. Stuart doesn't like deadline day, does he? Um, I joked the other week, didn't I, that we should call our deadline day live blog hashtag no circus. But um, unfortunately, deadline day is very much a day at the circus, isn't it? Is that's it's become sort of the fun and games of it that you end up uh, just having the the nonsense r- rumours, and obviously you get a, a lot of drama where clubs do move late and things like that. And um, frankly, you know, if if someone's going to bid for Cantwell or Aaron's on on deadline day, then Stuart will literally just be like, well, unless you're paying fifty million, then. <laughs> we might as well end this conversation now. Um, it's just not going to happen, is it? He doesn't doesn't do that sort of stuff. So, yeah, fingers crossed. He'll be he'll be doing everything he can, really. And we've seen actually this summer with COVID and everything that if you are bringing in players from overseas, then it has become a bit more of a, a protracted process, isn't it? And you know, the player if they're double jabbed, then do they have to isolate and they've got to te- return a negative test and all that sort of stuff before they can get the medical done and stuff? It's become um, quite clunky, isn't it? And particularly when you're signing players overseas, it's leaking out generally from the media at that side as well. So, um, yeah, as as we said, Stuart Weber doesn't like the deadline day, so. I think Norwich fans would be very happy if uh, it is a quiet deadline day as well. But we just heard it from from Daniel Fark, didn't he? He's, he's just laid it out there. That's the three signings he still wants. Yeah, absolutely. So anyone who knows how Stuart Weber operates, I don't think we'll be we'll be seeing three players rock up on uh, at, at like five to eleven on deadline day. I don't think that will happen. I hope not. <laughs> yeah, so so do I. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, Jake Tidy on YouTube said, do you think our next signings will be from abroad and be structured like the Gibson and your new list deals? We kind of spoke about this, really, certainly in terms of defensive midfield. I think that's probably highly likely. Um, And then it is just kind of if we're sort of talking about Williams in the terms of being pretty close and that nothing's done until it's completely done. But that looks like it'll happen by any late hitches um, or Luke Shaw doing his knee on Sunday, for example. but it does look like that's the route they're going down. I guess it's just the centre-back one, isn't it? And what they try and do with that and whether it's that kind of direction they, they or this direction that Jake sort of maps out with, with the centre-back. But certainly the, the midfielder, it looks like it'll be, I guess you'd, you'd call it 
the 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 Ibrahim Hamadou approach, but probably um, hopefully with, with someone that works off a little bit better. But it, it does sound like they're they're looking abroad now for kind of their their remaining targets. Yeah, it does, and um, that there's a British premium on players, isn't there? You know, we've all, all talked about sort of Joe Worrell and Dale Fry and Paddy McNair and sort of top Championship defenders, and they all come with a big price tag, don't they? And someone like Forrest isn't going to loan you Joe Worrell for the season with the uh, offer of a, of a permanent deal at the end of it. So, yeah, there's a lot of things for Stuart to juggle. But, I mean, specifically on that example of the loan to buy, I think it's, you know, it, it's certainly something that they are considering using to try and get a better calibre of player. But it doesn't mean it's definitely going to be that, does it? It's just that is something they've got in, the, in their arsenal. Yeah, absolutely. And it is difficult for the reasons we spoke about with uh, with Mateus Norman. When you're trying to do that with a frontline player, Ibrahim Amadou wasn't one for Sevilla two years ago. So that's that's much more attractive, isn't it? As opposed to uh, to maybe someone who is playing week in, week out for their, for their club. So that's a harder deal to, it's a harder structured deal to get done rather than just putting cash on the table. Um, Amy has said, uh, would love to see a detailed video piece on the soccer bot and the reasons Norwich brought in and what advantages they think it will bring to the club. Great work, guys, and safe travels to Manchester. Noted, Amy, we'll... Um, We'll, we'll, well, I think I think we're hoping to do a bit with the soccer bit, a soccer bot at some point. I don't quite know where they are at it in terms of building and stuff. They were building it, weren't they? I think last time we were at Colney a, a while ago. Uh, let's see if we've got any more comments. And if not, then we shall move on to the Manchester City one. This is an interesting one. We'll end on this, actually. Um, Glenn Kamara, there's been some speculation around his Rangers future this week. I think for for various reasons, Dave, he was very good in the Euros. Kevin has, has brought him up. Uh, another Kevin as well um, says, how about Glenn Kamara? Um, Liam Winnell has suggested Mardi Kamara, who's different. So we, we're talking about two Kamaras, spelt slightly differently. But just on, on, on Glenn Kamara, a lot of speculation, I think, with a move to Russia this week. Um, doesn't seem like that one. I think um, I think it was Spartak Moscow, wasn't it? And I think they've come out and, and said that that isn't one that they're, they're pursuing. But um, now Rangers have kind of been knocked out of the Champions League a player of that calibre um, not again we'll, we'll stress because I, I know how people take things in the transfer window um, he's not a player that at this stage it looks like Norwich are interested in but a player like that of his calibre would be uh, would be a decent addition wouldn't it in, in terms of that midfield position yeah I mean he's not been linked with Norwich has he and that's almost been surprising we've just been waiting for it to happen haven't we because he's obviously Pukki's international teammate and has been a, a big part of how well Finland have done in recent years and he was probably one of the few Finland players to come out of the Euros with with a bit of credit in the bank and he looked good and obviously he's done very well for Rangers too so um, you can sort of see it I think the it was Newcastle wasn't it it's sort of uh, the daily record story and it said other Premier League clubs I think it was West Ham was one of them as well wasn't it but um, yeah they're going to still be playing in the Europa League he's still playing for a massive club and um, I think he would still cost a fair bit of money to be honest I think you're probably talking about a 15 to to 20 million pound player there I, as I said a while ago I don't really think he's in Norwich's um price bracket at the moment I think he's probably probably above them and given that he's going for another title in Scotland and playing in the Europa League I think it would probably take a, a little bit of persuasion but he is maybe one that keeping the back of your mind and if Norwich do manage to secure survival this season and then they've got that bit more money to spend again next summer, um, see where his situation is then, then I wouldn't be at all surprised if he is someone that they look at eventually. And I wouldn't be surprised if he's someone that they do, would like to sign, just that I'm not sure he's really a, uh, a sort of sensible option at the moment. 
Yeah, I like Lenkemeyer, a good player. Um, that right, we'll, we'll we'll leave it there. Let's um let's look ahead to that game at the Etihad tomorrow. Then, um, Dave, I think we'll start with um I, I think we, we we can call this a bromance now, can't we? There's been enough comments back oh, and yes. forth <laughs> from both parties. This is very much a bromance. So we'll play you two clips now. First and foremost, I think it will be Farker on Pep, and then we'll have a bit of Pep on Farker, and then we'll come back and uh, uh, and talk about the game tomorrow. I really like him as a as human being, and for that we have got a got a good relationship. What I definitely can say about him as a coach, yeah, he's he's the best. I think he's a legend, and the football community should build status for him because um, no other coach in the, in the last fifteen years has influenced the football more than than um, than Pep did. So um, you always want to be a trend set, uh, more like uh, use trends and want to be a modern coach but but he was always ahead of the wave so he he was a trendsetter he created trends and I think he has influenced the game uh, in the last 15 years more than, than any other coach on this uh, planet uh, has done so he has played already with the false nine anyhow when no one even knew what, what it was and meanwhile many coaches are playing with the, with the false nine well, Daniel is an exceptional manager. Always, I enjoy a lot watching uh, his teams playing. I didn't see much uh, last season championship, but the year he was in the Premier League, they didn't get results, but they played really good uh, in terms of the proposal, and they want to do it. They have, you know, the quality, and we spoke about that about the team. This is a team that they're going to try to play, and of course, the, the movements from Puki and 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 the other players. So yeah, we're going to face a, a really good teams in the terms of the proposal is always so interesting. So, But in the same time, we're incredible delight to play finally in Etihad uh, with our people. And hopefully we can do a good game. There you go. Norwich City fan Pep Guardiola there on uh, on Daniel Farker. A very nice bromance that's blossoming between those two. That that embrace on the side of the Etihad pitch is uh, is going to be a warm one, isn't it, before kickoff tomorrow? I get that sense. Dave, this is a, a very daunting task, I think, at any stage of the season for, for Norwich, let alone the fact that they've just faced Liverpool. I mean, you, you couldn't give them a, a tougher opening to, to, to life back in the Premier League than, than Liverpool and Manchester City in their opening two fixtures. Is the fact that Manchester City have lost the last three competitive games, if you include the Community Shield. Um, the fact that they've still got players working their way back to full fitness is, can Norwich take sort of heart from that? Or is, as Daniel Farker kind of alluded to, the fact that they have got three defeats, maybe going to be a little bit tougher for Norwich because of that willingness to maybe right the wrongs of that defeat to Spurs, the Community Shield loss as well. How do you kind of see it? Yeah, I think because of the full house as well, they they are going to be well up for it and they are going to be uh, wanting to put the wrongs of the last few weeks uh, right, aren't they? You know, um, the Spurs defeat was not a great performance by all accounts. Um, Leicester, you know, that was a tighter game. It was just settled by a, a penalty, but they've, they've not hit their straps, have they? So, you know, that Guardiola doesn't accept those sort of, slipping of standards and you know they lost the champions league final and stuff as well they are they are going to be well up for this game and it you know it's, it's nice to hear those sort of kind comments from the top of the game but we heard it all throughout 2019-20 didn't, didn't we so i think you know ignoring the noise is something that norwich that's one of their mantras isn't it and you have got to ignore 
these teams softening Norwich up a little bit and talking so positively because it happened throughout, didn't it? And I think Norwich have really got to stay grounded and, and not get carried away with the nice football they play because I've, you know, to sort of give away a bit of my column in tomorrow's pink and last season was built on the fact that they brought in a better defence, that they had a stronger backbone, that they were more streetwise. And if you go back to that first half of last season, they weren't playing champagne football at all. They were grinding results out. It was one goal wins week after week. And everyone was being so impressed by how consistent they were being. And that was built on solid foundations on having Tim Krull, Ben Gibson and Grant Hanley as the core with Ollie Skip protecting them as well. They played some good football eventually once they built their confidence, once they got all those results and they were flying high in top position. Once they had that little wobble, um, you know, the the Borough, Millwall, Swansea games and Yanulis came back from um, from his red card and all that sort of stuff. Uh, sorry, no, not his red card. Um, came back in after the Swansea game. That was later in the season, wasn't the red card. Came back in after the Swansea game and the left-back situation settled down and they just became really consistent. Then they started to sort of blow teams away a bit, didn't they? They really started to look a good team. But that wasn't what that title success was built on. And I really do not think that Premier League survival is going to be built on Norwich playing champagne, nice, attractive passing football. Hopefully that will come, but that's not where they are at the moment. For me, it feels like the focus should be on laying the bricks of that foundation, really making sure that they've got some defensive strength. It's at Man City tomorrow. You can do that all you like. As Daniel said in the presser as well, you can park the bus. You can spend the whole game trying to thwart them and you can still lose 4-5-0, as a lot of teams did last season. I think Everton lost 5-0 at, at Man City, didn't they? That You can go there. At, like the, It was the Chris Hewton game. Was that 7-0, Chris yeah. Hewton or 6? They tried to park the bus that night, didn't they? They really tried to park the bus and it did not work at all because once they'd fallen a few goals behind early doors, it didn't work. But ultimately... It's nice to have all the comparisons, but what was it two years ago? The best bottom team in the Premier League. You don't want to be hearing any of that this season. I would be much keener to start hearing opposition managers saying, well, you know what? Norwich has surprised me a little bit this season. I know they can play good football, but they've got a bit of steel about them now as well. They're tougher to break down. They're better in defence. And until we start hearing those sort of things, rather than warm, lovely comments about the nice football Norwich play, then... I think there's still a lot of work, a lot of development, a lot of progress that's needed, obviously with the caveat that, that, like you said, they have been given an incredibly tough start to the season and patience is really going to be tested at the moment through until we get to the other side of that September international break, the transfer window's closed, Farkas had a real bit of time to get the squad sorted out and stuff, then they go to Arsenal, then they host Watford. That's when the season will really start and we'll start to see things. So, yeah, I'm kind of, I'm going to kind of go the opposite way in being impressed on hearing these nice Guardiola comments. I want to hear a, a new tune being played. I want to hear opposition managers starting to say Norwich aren't as nice to play against as they used to be. It's it's interesting that you you reference that 7-0 and, and teams going to the Etihad and just getting beaten out. Farker used a good analogy today. It was a kind of a boxing one. He said um, it's all kind of very, very well and good trying to be defensive, but if you, if you don't punch anyone then then you're not going to win in in terms of a boxing analogy so it is is that element as well that if you kind of sit back and just let Manchester City launch wave after wave after wave of attack then as you mentioned there they have the quality that they will score goals but equally if you go and as we said earlier go and 
um, maybe take the game to them and try and go toe-to-toe, and then they probably beat you four or five anyway. So it's about the balance, isn't it? It was really interesting to hear him talk about um, perhaps Norwich needing the ball at times and needing to keep the ball for to kind of recover and uh, and to try and sort of kill the game a little bit. And it's, it's just going to be fascinating to see how they approach it and whether... We see what we saw at Liverpool two years ago, which, I don't, as we've said, I don't think we will in terms of Norwich maybe trying to uh, to go there and impose a style of play. I think we'll probably see a more balanced approach, but it is, it, yeah, it's, it's just it is going to be fascinating. And I think I think you're right in terms of what you say. You'd you'd rather be the worst fifteenth place side ever, wouldn't you, than, than the best bottom place side at so. the moment? At the yeah. moment, yeah. I mean, I think that obviously with this Norwich squad and this head coach, they will play some good football as well. Then the Norwich aren't going to turn into Burnley at any time. So no, no one wants them to. That's not that's not yeah. the, not what I'm saying at all. Obviously, is it? But last season they managed to do it, didn't they? They had a solid base, and then they still played good football. And eventually, once their confidence was up, they played good attacking football. But they've got to get established in this Premier League before they can sort of they've got to earn the right to play good, attractive football. I think at the moment where where they're coming into this for another stealing from my column again I can't remember the exact numbers but West Brom got a draw there last year they drew 1-1 I think it was Billich's last game weirdly wasn't it yeah it was and I look back at the stats and I think it was they had 23% of possession uh City had 29 shots and eight on target and 15 corners or something something close to those numbers so if you're gonna go to the Etihad against a billionaire's sort of play thing, basically some of the top players in the world, let alone England, then you are going to have to ride your luck a little bit. And as much as the three, two win in September, 2019 was epic and Norwich played brilliantly. They did have to ride their luck that day and they were clinging on at the end to their three points, weren't they? And they defended heroically Byram, um, Amadou, Krull. They were all excellent that day, weren't they? Um, So, you need a little bit of luck on your side. You need Manchester City to have a bit of an off day and you need to play really well defensively to have any chance of getting something against one of the best teams in the world. Yeah, I think they, they probably used their, all their luck that they had that season in that game, didn't they? Because they didn't seem Absolutely. to get any, any thereafter. Um, Dave, uh, do, do you see Norwich in, in terms of the, the team before I, I kind of close it with how you see it going tomorrow, which I'm, I'm dreading a little bit. Um, do, do you see... Daniel sticking with with that four three three. Do you see him going with a, a three at the back? It was it was interesting today. Um, towards the end of his press conference, that he pointed out that Kenny McLean and Andrew Omabamadele had 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 good training weeks. I think as as he described it. So, do you see those two coming in? How do you see him approaching it tomorrow? Honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if it was one change, and that was just Kenny McLean coming in for Lucas Rupp. Um, I would probably I would quite like to see Josh Sargent coming up front, but I think Daniel will take the longer term view on it and he will just be keen to get minutes into Pookie because I think whoever you play up front in this game is probably not going to get a great deal of the ball, whether it's Sargent, Ida or Pookie. They're going to be doing a lot of chasing around um, of defenders who are going to be comfortable in possession. So I think Daniel will probably stick with this, the same team pretty much. Um and then the the interesting thing is, as we were saying earlier, really, what happens with Gilmore? I, I think the fact that Farker started him there against Liverpool hints that that's where he does see him. That's where he wants him to play and that he thinks he'll flourish in that position. Um, or does he play a, a McLean or a Rupp or a Sorensen there and try Gilmore in a, in a slightly more advanced role? But I think given that that's how he started against Liverpool, 
I think he will have settled on that system reasonably because I think Man City generally play a 4-3-3 as well, don't they? Um, and that we won't see too much change. I think Norwich will play. Yeah, I, I think in formation, really, I, yeah, I think we, we probably won't see much. I can see them going with an attacking three, definitely. Uh, if you look at what um, what Chelsea did and what Spurs did as well, they had a, a very narrow attacking three and really sort of exploited them on the counter-attack. They played Fernandinho there last last weekend. He's, what, 35. Um, Rodri, uh, <laughs> as well, isn't probably the most mobile midfielder. That's probably fair to say. So there's probably some counter-attacking potential, um, unless, of course, we see Carl Walker come back in, who is probably one of the best defenders in the world at, at preventing counter-attacks just because of his, his, his sheer pace. Probably a, a weaker left side if we see Ake and Mende, uh, Mendy start as well. So I think there's, there's probably going to be opportunities for Norwich, but like you say, it's, it's a very difficult task so bearing that in mind Dave I can already see we've got one score prediction in from from Liam who has uh who's gone straight in with a 6-0 to Manchester <laughs> City uh, oh, let's no. let's hope we don't get to to those kind of levels how, how do you see it going tomorrow Dave can you see Norwich scoring a goal should we start there <laughs> hmm can I see Norwich scoring a goal um Honestly, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you the memories of, of the last game against Manchester City, that really good goal that Onel Hernandez scored, which was then ruled out, wasn't it, for that margin offside? And I think they lost 5-0 in the end, which is a bit of a shame. Yeah, but, that's but, quite an exciting yeah. moment. And then it was t- torn away from Onel. It was a correct decision, though, to be fair, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, it was yeah. just offside. Yeah. That was a depressing day. That was the 10th successive defeat. And uh, De Bruyne just curled that late one in, um, I think it was 90th minute, just to make it even worse. Didn't he rub salt in the wounds when Norwich were already... At the lowest, literally the lowest ebb the club had ever been at. They relegated 10 successive defeats. The players just wanted to get off the pitch, and then Kevin De Bruyne curls one more in right at the end. That was grim. Can I see Norwich scoring a goal? I mean, all logic points to no, really, the way they are coming into this. I'd be absolutely thrilled if they managed to grind out a nil nil draw, to be honest. I know that's not something you want to ever really be saying, but. Frankly, we were all saying it after a nil-nil draw at Bournemouth two years ago because it was needed at the time, wasn't it? And sometimes those results work. You know, if you keep a clean sheet, then you don't get beaten. And if somehow they can find a way to keep them out, it would be a real heroic effort and would let then allow them to build from there. And then, as I said in the, in the pod, Tuesday is then a very big game, isn't it, against Bournemouth. And um, that's when you're probably going to see Scholes start and you're going to see some other players get opportunities to show what they can do. It may even be a Brandon Williams debut, the, the, the way things are, are shaping up. And then Fark will have a few days to really assess and take on another very difficult game against Leicester. But Leicester are not quite as daunting as, as Liverpool and Man City. Then I don't think they're quite at that level, are they? And you're more likely to catch Leicester on a, on a bit of an off day. And you know, Madison hasn't really been firing too much for them in this year, really, has he? he? Struggled a bit with injury and things. And they're clearly a very good team. But yeah, I, if they can get out of Man City with any credit in the bank and some more positives still to talk about, then that would be that would be great. But I just I just can't logically look at it and predict because we, we weren't on the morning of the day that they beat Man City. We weren't sat, sat there. No one sat there saying, oh, yeah, I think Norwich will beat them 3-2, were they? All, all logic no, suggests. 
Do you know what? I remember turning to you and Paddy before the game and saying, if Norwich keep this under five, given the context of their injuries, it's a very different situation then, then they'll have done well. And then obviously they produce that. So uh, maybe I'll turn to you guys and say the same thing tomorrow afternoon. Yeah. But all logic suggests that it's not possible, but that's not how football works, is it? So, yeah, as I, to follow on sort of the defensive rant I went on a little while ago, that's really what I want to see. I really want to see them, even if it does end up being two or three nil again, then I really want to see some encouraging signs that the defence is going to uh, is going to build and kick on from there. But yeah, I, I think I'll I'll say I'll say three nil again. Sadly, yeah, but, probably. With, but probably with as you. I said in my column last week, as long as those signings come in, I'm still pretty hopeful that there's a lot more positives to come in this season, and they they are capable of surviving and getting up towards mid table safety. Hopefully. Yeah, do you know? Do you know? I agreed with Daniel Farker today actually when he said for sixty-five minutes against Liverpool, it was maybe being you maybe being a bit kind if you say even. I think Liverpool probably edged it, but it was competitive, wasn't it? I, I think that's yeah. that's probably a fair reflection. And beyond the three goals, Tim Krul didn't really have too many saves to make that I can think of out off the top of my head. Um, yeah, I was going to come to this comment from from Amy, which is probably a nice place to leave our video for this evening on some positivity. She said, "Strangely optimistic." My gut is telling me that Norwich will somehow get something for the from the game, two one win. So we'll leave you with that bit of positivity from Amy. We will of course be at the Etihad Stadium tomorrow um, first away game I think since Sheffield United that we're, we're, we're all attending which is um, nice certainly uh, in, in terms of all being in the press box and stuff like that so that's um, that's going to be nice uh, Pinkin.com of course the place to go we'll have the, the live blog all the analysis and, and reaction as well from, from Daniel Farker it's, um, it's going to be an interesting one let's hope we see some more green shoots enjoy the rest of your Friday evening thank you very much for watching and we'll see you again very very soon